Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen and welcome to the 615th episode of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Beyond the 90 at beyondthe90.substack.com and locally on the New York Rebels at Rebel News Network. But as always, this show is dedicated to the game here in the United States. Some updated news to let everyone know. Matt Miazga has just been dealt a three-game suspension from the MLS Disciplinary Committee due to the fact that he went into the referee's locker room at Red Bull Arena for game two of round one of the Eastern Conference Playoffs for the MLS Cup playoffs. Of course, Cincinnati won it in two games. And because of certain things he felt he did not like, he decided to go beyond the locker room, went straight for the referee room, and has been hit with a three-match ban. So that means he is out for the semifinals and the conference semifinals. He's also out Actually, excuse me, I should say he's out for the conference finals, out for the MLS Cup final should they advance that far, and also out for the first game or two of the 2024 Major League Soccer regular season. All I can say is, Matt, you're a hothead, even though I respect you and you've done great things as a player, of course, coming up through the Red Bull Academy. But I'm sorry, Matt Miazga, uh, you're just going to have to learn to keep your emotions in check when it comes to refereeing decisions. That's all you can really say about the matter. And hopefully he will learn from this and become a better player. And hopefully he'll never do it again. But I want to go in a different direction here. Because while Matt Miazga just suffered a three-game suspension for what he did in the referees. I'd like to talk about a man that is an excellent head coach in Major League Soccer. He is, in my mind, possibly a future national team head coach for the U.S. men's national team if he decides to get the job or if he does get an opportunity to have that job, which... I will say at this point in time, I don't think it'll ever happen because I just don't think people at U.S. soccer are going to give him that opportunity, but we'll have to wait and see. And that is, my friends, Jim Curtin, head coach of the Philadelphia Union. Whether his team wins and advances to the next round or apparently loses In the last round, Jim Curtin has to basically go on 
a rant, whether it be in front of the media in Philadelphia, either at Subaru Park in the media room or during Zoom calls. And apparently he just can't seem to find a way to leave certain clubs alone depending on what happens to his Philadelphia Union side. Jim Curtin has been an excellent head coach in this league. He deserves everything, all the plaudits in the world for how he has gotten this Philadelphia Union side to do wonderful things in the Open Cup, in the CONCACAF Champions League, MLS Cup playoffs, and the regular season. But, but, at the moment, the only thing that he can lay claim to is one supporter shield. He has not won a CONCACAF Champions League. He has not won a U.S. Open Cup. He has not won an MLS Cup. And he has certainly not won a League's Cup. Yet, Jim Curtin is either acting as a sore winner or a sore loser. And you know what, Jim? Look, I'm I'm never going to doubt how you manage a game. I'm never going to doubt how you are able to get wins and to keep a strong union side intact when you continue to lose players but gain new ones and continue to be a dominant side. You have a good core group around you and everything you've done, you've deserved. Without a doubt, you've deserved it. But once again, Jim, this is a situation where one day you're going to really be looked upon in a negative light. And at the same time, people are going to start calling you a sore winner or a sore loser when things don't go your way. And look, I'm, all I'm saying is, how about you just, you know, you want to talk about your team in a positive light or, you know, certain things you should have done better with. That's fine. That's okay. We understand. And I understand, you know, because I cover the Red Bulls and you've had your way against the Red Bulls for a very, very long time now for a certain amount of matches, probably more than 10 plus matches right now in all competitions. But, you know, for the love of God, worry more about what your team has done positively or negatively. Okay, let's not delve into other teams that you've been better against. I don't care what is said on the pitch. I don't care what is going on between you and the opposite head coach inside your technical areas. I don't care about what happens on the pitch with your players and the opposition players. What you should be concentrating on, Jim Curtin, is how your team plays. Okay? Before 
you were taking it up the backside. Okay? Before you were doing all this great stuff, being a head coach, being with the union, you know, being this great team that you're consistently in the playoffs, consistently in tournaments, qualifying for these tournaments, season in, season out. You know, this union team was not that great coming in. They were not that great. And, you know, you, you've done enough to get them going. Now, unfortunately, you haven't won the big one. But you still continue to be a positive force in Major League Soccer. And you're consistently strong every single year. You deserve all the plaudits in the world for that. But before you were doing that, you were taking it up the backside, getting basically losses basically shoved down your throat. You want to avoid all that stuff? That's what I think you should do. You've done enough, Jim. We all know how good of a head coach you are. You have done an excellent job. You have done a very good job of what you are capable of doing as a head coach for this club. All I'm saying is a million notches. Because one day, one day, Jimmy, if you're still with the union and you're going to go on a horrible losing streak, not qualifying for the playoffs, not winning the Open Cup, not qualifying for the CONCACAF Champions Cup, not doing well in the League's Cup, guess who's going to get the finger of blame sharpened and pointed right into your department? It will be the other head coaches in the league that can't wait to let you have it, okay? You do a great job getting your club prepared. You do a great job setting up for, you know, positive moments, for victories. But the one thing that's going to hang on your head is this. You can't win the big one. But I think you've done enough to get that opportunity to be the head coach of the U.S. men's national team if and when that opportunity comes your way. But once again, this mentality of arrogance is going to cost you big time. And when you're back on the losing end of results in the ledger, no one's going to blame anyone else. No one's going to say, well, you know, this is that, this player's fault, that player's fault. They're all going to say, hey, Jim, what the hell's going on? And one day the owner of the union is going to go to you and say, you're fired. You're sacked. So all I can tell you is this, Jim Curtin. Calm down. Okay. I give you credit. I give you complete credit on how you have gotten this Philadelphia Union team to play strong, to do well, be consistently good, 
even though you only have one supporter shield to your name, outside of that, got nothing. Okay? You got a shield, but you don't have a cup. So all I'm telling you is this, Jim Curtin. Calm down. Just worry about your team. Don't drag any other teams in your conversation. We know you're not saying their names, but we know what you're talking about. And it's time for you to just quit it. Just stop it. Because when it goes back to the union becoming a bad team, and you're still there running the ship, and it's on your name, wait until these other head coaches in Major League Soccer are getting ready to let you have it. Because I'm telling you right now, telling you right now this is absolutely garbage this is ridiculous and I really hope he's going to learn I hope that he will learn and uh, he doesn't have to do this again I really hope he'll never ever do this again because like I said He is a damn good head coach. I'm not disputing that. All I'm saying is, gotta stop acting like a sore winner or a sore loser. Because that is not how you are supposed to act as a head coach. I know there's gonna be rivalry games. I know that's going to is going to be times and all you can do all you can do is just hope and pray that he learns from this and everything else goes well afterwards. Like I said, he's a great head coach, but he's got to dial it down a million notches. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's move ahead now. It's time to recap the conference semifinal matches in the 2023 MLS Cup playoffs. Joining me first from Cincinnati, Ohio, he covers FC Cincinnati for Area Sports Network, Mr. Kenta Hagawara. Kenta, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, and how are you tonight, sir? Uh, busy for the last hour after the news came out, but I'm um, doing quite well. Thanks for asking. No, no problem at all. I know um, it's tough to see Matt Miazga getting suspended for three games for the rest of the MLS Cup playoffs, and depending on what happens in the final against Columbus, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But um, it must be disheartening to see that happening to Matt Miazga. Uh, unfortunately, he did go into the referee's room regardless if it was overblown or not. Uh, look, he went past the visiting locker room and uh, shouldn't have done what he did. Yeah, there seems to be uh, a conflict of what actually happened in terms of details, but no one is really denying the fact that he went into the official's locker room, and that's officially, of course, a no-go. So, um 
you know, punishment, I think, is, is, a, is a necessity in that situation where you have something that's not allowed and the line gets crossed. Um, but obviously details being fabricated are, are reports that some people are making, including the club, and um, they still went along with, it, uh, along with the suspension. So it is what it is at this point. It is what it is, unfortunately. But let me say this. Um, even though the FC Cincinnati, obviously with uh, Coach of the Year Pat Noonan doing such a wonderful job and taking on and taking out the Philadelphia Union, who has been really a club with consistency in victories and winning, that had to be the biggest victory at this point in time for FC Cincinnati in the playoffs. I, I would even argue that it's not just the playoffs, but since they've joined MLS, it's the biggest victory they've had in general. You know, um, a team that they weren't able to beat on the road last year in the playoffs, setting the same round, and you're able to come at home and get the result, um, play a very convincing match overall, um, regardless of what you might think of of the final goal, um, and get a result at home. I, I, I would argue it's the best match and the most important victory they've had in club history so far. Very true. No, very true, and I agree with you. Uh, you know, just to talk about that game uh, and the goal, of course, that was scored by Mosquera inside second-half stoppage time, and, you know, he curled it inside the far post. A lot of questions being asked about possibly the play being offside before Mosquera scored it. Um, and I mean, I, I mean, I think the still frame in my mind shows, and I'm being honest here, I think he was kept onside by the right arm of the defender, uh, or at least to allow the play to be considered a goal. I felt the defender's right arm kept the Cincinnati player onside, and that's why VAR decided not to chalk it off. Yeah, uh, we, uh, I think FC Cincinnati is very familiar with the whole offside onside issue uh, and the hell is real last year during the regular season there was an issue uh, uh, very controversial call there uh, with Nick, Nick Hagland and obviously the rules were reversed then um, my stat my kind of stance on all of this would be that whatever the call in the field is it just can't be overturned with what technology we have with VAR right now none of it's clear and obvious um, you don't have the angles you don't have the technology like you would at like a world cup or some of the higher leagues in Europe where you're able to make a more distinct call, a more accurate call right now in Major League Soccer. And until that kind of technology gets implemented in Major League Soccer, you really don't have another option but to go with the one on the field when it's a matter of, I think some people drew some lines and it's a matter of potentially inches. You don't really have an opportunity of making that call with the, the current technology that's available in Major League Soccer. Mm -hmm. Very true. And uh, once again, the, they were able to keep it and everything was good. And the uh, FC Cincinnati wins this one by a goal to nil. But still, though, even before that great action in regulation time, you know, Andre Blake is definitely a goalkeeper um, that, look, I respect a lot. I think he has excellent positioning. He does very well keeping the ball out of the net many, many times, gaining so many victories. And how many times did we see FC Cincinnati peppering him, getting those shots off? Yeah, he had a expected goal on target base over 2.3 or somewhere around that. I mean, he, uh, yeah, Andre Blake, consistent year in and year out for Philadelphia now for years. He's obviously known as a mainstay and one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And he proved it once again, you know, um, 
at TQL Stadium, aside from that final goal, I mean, he was practically perfect up until that point, and you can't really do much on, on that final finish there. So um, that's not really a goal on him. I think that's just four defenders that were at the top of the box, not marking the square in the center of the box there. So um, Andre Blake, another phenomenal game that he had against FC Cincinnati. No, he – no, no, absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to throw any shade at Celentano. I mean, he's been excellent for Cincinnati all season long. You know, what is it about Celentano that maybe he's finally coming to his own to really be that strong starting goalkeeper that whether you were in USL or even in MLS, that he has done to keep this club afloat, whether there are times where you needed uh, an opportunity to steal a point or just to steal the full three points? Yeah, with Roman Solentano, he's always been one of the better goal shot stoppers in the league. I mean, that's That was the big trait coming out of Indiana University for the 2022 MLS Super Draft when FC Cincinnati took him second overall. Um, but he's gotten better with the ball in his feet. I think he had a perfect 100% accuracy in passing on Saturday. That that distribution stat was really, really the weakness in his game last year, and he's improved on it tremendously, and we saw it on Saturday, especially when you're missing a guy like Matt Miazga, as he says, will continue to on Saturday this week. You're losing one of your key center backs and players you can play the ball to from the back, and you're working with different combinations on the back without his power, Ray Gaddis coming in on that match, and to be able to not lose the ball against that press with Philadelphia was key, and uh, I think that's been his growth this year than most. It's just his decision-making, his um, ability to stay calm on the ball and to throw it out of the back. No, he really did. You know, big saves, obviously, one in the towards the back end of the first half on Martinez on a very long-distance low roller uh, by Celentano, who made a good save there, and, of course, um, other saves in the second half. But the one that really, you know, really saw or caught my eye was late in the match in the 86th minute, still scoreless, uh, Ariel with a big bender, and Celentano was there to make that save. Yeah, the Harry off the top of the box and kind of curling in. I don't necessarily think that was positionally the most difficult, but his ability to push that ball out of play, out of the dangerous area, something we've seen him improve on also. Um, sometimes, especially early this year, we, we saw some spillage on those saves where it would land in a dangerous area and uh, opposing attackers were able to pounce on it and capitalize on it and capitalize with a goal, right? And uh, him, his ability to push that ball far out of the danger, out of the box, uh, yeah, another great improvement that we've seen from Solentano this year. Let me ask you this, and obviously to me this was a big battle between Pat Noonan and, of course, uh, Jim Curtin battling in their technical areas, trying to make sure they get the right game plan going. Um, and, of course, let's not forget Chris Albright, who was also part of that Philadelphia Union front office, came to FFC Cincinnati and has really changed things a lot from night, you know, night to day to make FC Cincinnati into a new powerhouse in MLS. You know, what were the initial feelings before this match get on, got underway between these two head coaches? Yeah, we spoke with Brandon Vasquez prior to the match on, I think it was Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving there, and he spoke about how it felt like a rivalry game and also just kind of how it felt like a redemption or kind of 
you know, after losing last year in the Philadelphia match to have a chance to be at home in front of your home crowd where you've been so good this year and to have a chance to get revenge, redemption there. He was talking about that. And I, I think that carried over to kind of the mentality of the team. It was a very physical, very, very, you know, not one-sided game. Both both teams had their opportunities to score and were really, really good defensively. Um, the, the, the word revenge just kept coming up throughout the week, and I think that's the perfect description to describe that mentality for FC Cincinnati coming into the match on Saturday. No, absolutely. I agree with you there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And here's what else is going to be a lot of fun, ladies and gentlemen. The Ohio Derby. The Hell is Real Derby now coming to Cincinnati in the MLS Cup playoffs. I know that both Cincinnati and Columbus have faced each other in the Open Cup, but uh, is this the first time that these two sides are playing in the playoffs against each other? In the MLS playoffs, you are yeah, you are correct. They have only played each other in regular season play outside of the one U.S. Open Cup match in 2017. So, yeah, this is the second knockout format match that these two sides have faced each other in. So, obviously, under Wilfred Nancy, Columbus has really improved themselves throughout the regular season, and they, you know, had a very big win down in Orlando in extra time. Obviously, look, it's an Ohio Derby. Anything will go. Anything and everything can go right or wrong, depending on who's on the positive side of the scoreboard. But what do you think uh, Pat Noonan is going to have to do to prepare these guys for this upcoming weekend in the conference final? And what do you think has to be done uh, that they don't fall behind? Yeah, I mean, it, it all comes with how early, how you're able to start a match. Um, we saw it here early in May when FC Cincinnati hosted Columbus Crew. Acosta with a brace within 23 minutes to start the match, and they go on to win that match 3-2. And on the flip side, they concede a goal early in Columbus, 15th minute to Aiden Morris and a screamer, and then Kucho puts away a penalty in, 23, in the 23rd minute. They're up 2-0. They end up winning that match 3-0. Um, so it's favored the side. Um, who's been able to score the goal early, get to, get that lead early. And um, for FC Cincinnati, they have not lost to the Columbus Crew since moving into TQL Stadium. Two draws and a win in three matchups against the Crew here in Cincinnati once they've moved to TQL Stadium in 2021. Maybe a sign that they've been better against the Crew, considering that the Crew have won six of the 13 matchups all time between these two sides. Absolutely excellent. So uh, tell me real quick, what's the feeling around the Queen City? What is going on in Cincinnati and how are they feeling? Probably not since uh, the Bengals attempting the Super Bowl or the Cincinnati Reds going for the World Series. What's it like over there in uh, the Queen City? Yeah, there's there's a lot of anticipation for the match. There's no doubt about that. Um, easily the most... <laughs> important match in FC Cincinnati history, at least since joining Major League Soccer. They've never made it to the conference final before, let alone it being against your biggest rival, your in-state rival, just 100 miles away in the Columbus crew. Um, there's a lot at stake for both fan bases. The winner of this match goes on to host MLS Cup. It's staying in Ohio regardless who wins. So there's a lot of anticipation for this matchup, and um, 
the fans seem really, really excited about the match, which is unsurprising. I think the tickets sold out under an hour, in under an hour since public sale went live. And, yeah, I, fans are excited, and we'll see what kind of atmosphere we get at Saturday on Saturday. But I, I expect it to be the best we've ever seen at DQ Stadium. I bet it will be, and it should be exciting and a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, let me just say right now, uh, Kenta, thank you so much for your time, uh, and welcome to the show for the very first time. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and uh, anytime you want to come back on, obviously it's an automatic invitation, and we'll talk more about FC Cincinnati either in the playoffs or next season. So thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have a good night. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, and that's Mr. Kenta Hagawara from Area Sportsnet covering FC Cincinnati as uh, we'll see what they do uh, against the Columbus crew in the conference finals. And, of course, if we are going to talk about one Ohio club that's involved in the MLS Cup playoffs, then we are going to have to talk about the other club involved in the MLS Cup playoffs, and that's in Columbus, Ohio. So we are just awaiting for my next guest to come on, and it's Mr. Andrew Miller, who uh, covers the Columbus crew on the Massive Report. Now, I haven't had anyone from Columbus on in a long time, and hopefully uh, he'll be ready to go here as uh, we're trying to get him on the show. Um, it's been a while since I've had anyone on covering the crew on this show. Of course, it's been tough to uh, get certain things going. Let's hope we have Let's Mr. Record your message. Uh, when you have finished. Nope, not yet. But uh, don't worry. Uh, we will be uh, having him on soon as we get ready to uh, talk about – actually, it's Adam Miller, my bad, Adam Miller, trying to get him on uh, on the show. And uh, talking about – the Columbus crew as we get ready for him to come on. As we talk about what's going on here with the uh, Columbus crew. And there he is right now, Adam Miller from the massive report, Adam, welcome to the show. It's been a long time since I've had someone on from the massive report joining me. How are you doing tonight? And what a victory by the crew downtown Orlando at Explora. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, happy to, uh, yeah, represent the uh, Mass Report. Yeah, what a win. Obviously, <clears throat> anytime you're playing this time of year and winning this time of year, it's enjoyable. So uh, certainly a, a tense game and one that, um, you know, made you feel a lot of different ways if you're a crew fan or an Orlando fan, but happy to be on the right side of it and, yeah, looking forward to a big one on Saturday. Absolutely. And let's go ahead and talk about this matchup. Um, you know, even 
before we even get to this matchup, talk about the job Wilfred Nancy has done with this Columbus Crew team. I mean, obviously, a lot of question marks to start the season, not in a good place. But somehow, while the season was going on, he's righted the ship. And he found a way to get them to play excellent soccer and going as far as they have right now up to this point against Orlando. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, pretty remarkable just from even where they were, like you said, when when they started the year. Um, You know, I I can tell you that I was maybe a little bit less than convinced. Obviously, he did a good job in, in Montreal as well, and I think his um, he has a very clear understanding of what he wants his team to look like and how he wants them to play and the, the maybe the different types of player profiles that fit um, fit in those roles. And I think in the beginning of the year, he was figuring out who, um, you know, on the team fits into the, to the, the his system the way that he wants. And, and then they obviously added a couple of really key pieces um, kind of in the summer window, but I mean, I think it's a pretty remarkable job, especially taking a team that um, missed the playoffs last year. Now two games away from a championship. I think it's um, underrated. And I think he was maybe a little, I don't want to say disrespected, but undervalued in the uh, coach of the year sort of um, voting and stuff. Just, um, just because I think he's done a really good job and I think he's done it uh, pretty quickly. And with, a little bit of spending, but not a ton. So I think that's something that anytime you do that in, in the MLS, I think that's a kind of an impressive, impressive feat. No, very true. And Schulte has, in my mind, I think he's come out of nowhere and he's been excellent at the net, you know, just making sure no goal, no goals are going into his net. What has he been for Columbus since getting that opportunity as a starter? Yeah, I mean, it's been huge. I think a lot of people wouldn't have expected Schulte to be the guy starting this year. Obviously, he played with Crew 2 last year um, and had a good year. Obviously, Crew 2 won last year, and he was obviously a big part of that. Um, you know, but he's a guy they drafted two drafts ago now, and um, I think the thinking was probably that he was going to be a backup all year. But, again, I think it goes back to, to Wilfred Nancy and – he kind of knows what he wants his goalkeeper to do, and, and he felt that Schulte did it better than um, Aloy Room, who was there in the beginning of the year, and then Room picked up an injury, and it's been kind of all Schulte since then. I think he saw the best of him on, on Saturday. I think he, uh, I mean, a lot of uh, big saves and, and I would say heart-wrenching saves if, if you're a crew fan when, um, you know, they're up a man and uh, up a goal and still kind of defending like that, but uh yeah, I mean he's done. He's been really good, and I think he's 22 or 21. So hopefully, uh, long may it continue and uh, continue to get better and and um, help the team. You know, big moment there, of course, in this matchup which at Orlando City when Schlegel got that second yellow card, which became red in mm-hmm. the 77th minute, pulling down uh, the attacker, and he was the last man, basically pulling down the uh, one of the crew players to, you know prevent him from getting a goal-scoring opportunity. That had to be a big moment for Columbus. But, you know, nothing came of it in regulation time, though. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it was one of those moments where I think uh, just, I you know, I watch this team um, every week, so I, I have a good understanding of what they're going to try and do. And I felt like they the game was kind of going how they would have liked to, how they would have liked it to um, up until then. And then it kind of felt like it was, not over because obviously things happen all all the time, but um felt like they were definitely going to be in the driver's seat. And 
I don't remember. I think there's only maybe 15 minutes left roughly uh, when that happened, and they, they struggled still to kind of break down Orlando. Orlando's shape changed a little bit, um, just a little more defensive. So sometimes the crew, when they see um, new formations or new shapes throughout the course of the game or something they're not expecting, it maybe takes them a minute to figure out how they're going to break it down. But um, obviously going up a man in that in that scenario on the road in, in a playoff environment is a huge thing. And, and obviously that – I think, you know, probably made the difference in the game. It was pretty tight up until that point. So, um, mm. yeah, I, mean, no, I, very think, good. I think it was up. Yep. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Everything's good. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> you go into you go into extra time now uh, at the moment scoreless and Columbus up a man. But that big moment in the 93rd minute, I have to admit um, – very, very strange moment there, but still, though, positive for Columbus Ramirez in the 93rd minute. I, I think he was really trying to side slide into the ball, but he slid the ball all the way into the back of the net. Uh, defensive moment there by Galice Galese, who I think he hit it off the defender, and Ramirez just slides into the ball and rolled it harmfully over the goal line. That had to be a big moment there. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, obviously, anytime you can take the lead, I think in, in situations like this, you, it, it's it's really impactful, especially in uh, um, extra time. And yeah, kind of a weird play. Yep. I think that's why they brought Ramirez on. He's one of those guys where he just kind of finds a way to score a goal. It's not necessarily always very pretty or um, very, uh, maybe pretty is not the right word, but he's super effective, but not maybe the most like pleasing to watch aesthetically. But you know, in those moments, anytime that you can put the ball in the back of the net or anybody who can put the ball in the back of the net, that's extremely valuable. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought he did a good job when he came on and impacting the game and obviously scoring the goal that um, ended up making all the difference, really. It really did. And then it became the Schulte show. Three huge yeah. saves, three huge second half uh, – I should say just three huge extra time saves there, uh, especially – the big left foot save in the hundredth minute to keep that clean mm -hmm. sheet going. Uh, I mean, wow. Have you ever seen anyone make a save like that? You know, ever since you've been following the crew covering it or as a fan, I think you've, you've certainly seen similar ones, but I don't think anything, um, it, like in a similar moment, if that makes sense, when you're up a man, up a goal on the road in the Eastern Conference semi, the crew in the past when they've gone on runs to MLS Cup and stuff, they've, um, I don't want to say locked it down, but they've been pretty conservative defensively, um, especially when they take a lead. And, and now, you know, Nante does it a little differently, and, and they were under a lot of pressure after they scored that first goal. So I've never seen a, a bigger save in terms of the moment, and then obviously the the quality of the save, I think, was, was top class. That one, and then the um, maybe we'll get onto it in a little bit, but the one he made, I think, in the second half of extra time off the header was kind of oh, like yeah. a reaction kick save. Um, both, I mean, really, really top class. And for a, a 22, 21-year-old kid to be doing that, you know, in a in a big moment, biggest moment of the year, I think that um, that goes a long way. And, and obviously, I think it uh, ended up getting us over the line, um, not comfortably, but at the end of the day, getting over the line is the only thing that really matters. So, 
I believe that was either in the 106th or the 108th minute, one of those two moments where he did make that big save off the header. Um, but still, though, that was a huge moment. And then he makes the uh, big right foot save. If you're going to make a foot uh, save with the left foot, you've got to make a save with the right foot. And even that was amazing how he made that save off the right foot. Yeah, it's incredible. I think I actually think that that second one, the one with his right foot, is is maybe the more impressive one, just in terms of um, it's the ball's coming in from from the the Orlando player's head, so it's at a different angle. It's close. There's a defender in the way. It's kind of like a near near post cross that he's just reacting to. And yeah, I mean, really, really impressive. And and obviously, you can't um, state or overstate how how impressive or important of a save that was in that moment, especially being up a goal. So. Um, you know, I know it ended 2-0, but it probably wouldn't have if he didn't make a couple of those saves. Very true. Chucho Hernandez, I mean, you, you have to thank Galese for what he did. I mean, the, what's he doing coming in the – what is he doing coming off of his line and giving Chucho Hernandez a free shot at the net? At the at the yeah, halfway line. What is that? I don't know. I think it's it was it reminded me of like an open net situation. I don't know if you watch hockey at all at times, but it of reminded I me do. of that where like of course they, I do. they pull out the pull out the keeper or the goaltender and then they uh yeah, just kinda go for broke. It kinda re- reminded me of that. I mean if you're an Orlando player or fan, it's probably like the difference between losing one zero and two zero doesn't really matter. But yeah, it was a strange moment. I I used to play goalkeeper, so I feel for him a little bit because I can kind of see him being caught between two minds there and having to figure out what to do. But, um, you know, obviously being a, a crew, crew supporter, I was quite happy to see it as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a weird one. Good finish by Cucho, and, and um, you know, everybody in Columbus kind of took a deep breath after that. No, absolutely. And uh, you're off to take on – FC Cincinnati, the Supporters' Shield winners of 2023 at TQL Stadium this upcoming weekend. How has this rivalry been since they have come into, not just into play as a new club in American soccer, of course, starting off in the United Soccer Leagues, but now in MLS, they have really been a thorn in the side of the crew. What's this going to be like, and what do you think Nancy's going to have to do especially against a Cincinnati team that many people are probably are pointing towards to make the MLS Cup final. What do you think Columbus has yeah. to say about that? Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, the evolution of the rivalry has been um, both fun and, and uh, maybe daunting. I don't know the right word, but it's been fun, obviously, to see it. It's great, I think, for the league and, and for the game. It obviously being on one side pretty pretty staunchly, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, they're the annoying thorn in the side or whatever. But obviously this year they're very good and uh, um, supporter shield winners and, uh, you know, one number one seed and all that. I think it's going to be – and, and the, the games that they've played, um, the two other previous games, have both been, I would say, pretty hectic, lots of goals, pretty back and forth. They're two kind of opposite teams in terms of, um, you know, the crew and Nancy want to have the ball and move the ball and try and move the ball to kind of manipulate their opponent and get into the right spaces. And um, Cincinnati's pretty happy to uh, try and play kind of on the break and counterattack and be a little bit more direct. So it's kind of like a, a yin and a yang um, in terms of on the field, so it's going to be tough. Um, you know, the 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 TQL Stadium is a is a tough place to play, and um, obviously it's the third game between the two this year, and the, this is the stakes are the highest. I would say this is easily <clears throat> the most important 
game between the two. So it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really nerve-wracking, obviously, for both sides just because there's so much so much on the, on the line. But, um, you know, I think both sides will probably fancy their chances um, to kind of go in. And, and obviously the winner hosts MLS Cup, which is a huge benefit and bonus of that. So, um, yeah, we'll see. It's going to be I – would, I would say it's must-watch must watch television on, uh, on Saturday. Absolutely. Adam, listen, thank you very much for joining me tonight. I really do appreciate it. Tell Sammy I said hi and uh, hope to have you back on next year. So you take care, okay? Yeah, will do. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Have a, have a good one. I'll tell nope. Sammy you said hello. All right, you too. Absolutely. Thanks All a right. lot. Adam Miller yep. of the Massive Report joining us here to talk about the Columbus Crews victory 2-0 over Orlando City. And now we move on to the Western Conference, and we head on over to Shell Energy Stadium, where the Houston Dynamo stop Sporting Kansas City and win that wins that one by a goal to nil. Always from Bayou City Soccer, the one and only Derek Stowers is joining me tonight. Derek, this had to be not just a very good victory for the Dynamo, but my goodness, how they were able to keep the sporting off the scoreboard all match long was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, you know, anytime that you're in uh, one of these uh, rivalry games and then you add the, the added pressure of uh, being in the playoffs, anytime you can uh, kind of grind it out the way that the, uh, the Dynamo did, especially against a very talented team that took down a very talented St. Louis side in the previous round. Uh, you feel very good, especially to do it in front of uh, your home fans to kind of give them uh, a nice uh, little little reward for uh, sticking with us the entire season through this, you know, kind of renaissance of growth that we've uh, had under uh, Ted Siegel and Ben Olsen and, uh, what a game, you know. <laughs> I have to ask you this question, obviously, you know, full thought. And I'm not one of those people, but I have to go by what I've heard. You know, many people thought Hector Herrera transferring over to the Houston Dynamo, they didn't think he was going to take this league seriously. And while I'll admit, and I think you'll admit this as well, the Dynamo were not that good in the past couple of years, all of a sudden, They've been wonderful under Ben Ben Olsen, yet Hector Herrera has already led them to an Open Cup championship, and there's an opportunity now for a double. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with you. We're, we're both on the same page about Hector Herrera. Uh, one of the uh, the local announcers, Glenn Davis, he runs a radio show here, and he does the commentating. He's also previously done uh, commentating for ESPN and other outlets. He actually thought Hector Herrera should have been in the conversation for MVP for how well he's taken this club from being where we were to where we are, because he really was part of that. Uh, I don't know the part of the glue, him and our tour together in the midfield have both on the defensive end provided support uh, but they've also allowed uh, our forwards and attacking midfielders to flourish. And, uh, yeah, more he, he's more than taking it seriously. He's I think that I've heard rumors that he's been trying to recruit players to come to Houston, which I think would be really great for the league as well. So 
Um, yeah, he, he's been nothing short of phenomenal. You know, I, I can't remember if he's the league leader in assists or if he's very close to it, but that speaks volumes considering uh, he, he's not a number 10 and he started playing in this league in the middle of the year, in the, in the summer. So he, he's been fantastic in that sense. Oh, he really has. He's been fantastic and unbelievable, and a uh, great job by him and the Dynamo in this match. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the match. Steve Clark, really strong in goal all match long. I don't know how he was able to stop Johnny Russell on that third-minute opportunity, but my God, he really was like at his at his uh, near post and made that big, big moment, that big save for that big moment. Yeah, um, and that, that that wasn't just the only one. I thought, uh, in general, um, the the Houston defense was a lot more, uh, and I, I've talked about this before with you, their communication hasn't always been on point, but it felt on point this time. But um, Franco Escobar, frankly, uh, <laughs> I was a little worried with him with Johnny Russell because Johnny Russell – just takes players on um, and, you know, quite successfully at that. And he kind of had his number early in the game. Uh, and you have to really think that you, you know, that you've got a player like Steve Clark behind you to be able to clean up some of those uh, minute errors. It's just up to the defense to kind of minimize those errors uh, and make things easier for your goalkeeper. But when you've got somebody like Steve Clark that's able to step up and make some of those. And there, there was another one. I can't remember who took the shot. Uh, I, I think it was uh, Saloy um, just off the uh, half volley, it, just perfect. And he had another good one against uh, Polito as well. Um, it, it was just it, – it almost seemed textbook the way that he was kind of like able to push them, push them away or smother them and, you know, and then some of the ones that – we're on the ground, just be able to get to the balls. So Steve Clark just commanded his line incredibly well, and the defense back four in front of him was relatively in sync for most of the game, which I think uh, really benefited uh, the game plan that uh, Ben Olsen had. No, he really did. And the big goal comes in the 39th minute from Escobar. Uh, heads that ball when it was delivered from the far corner. That was a big moment right there. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's pretty funny. So Hector Herrera, there goes another assist, right, uh, mm-hmm. uh, off the corner. Um, you know, he, he he's right-footed, but he takes corners with his left, which is just one of those mind-boggling things, but then you see how well it it works in practice and, you know, a big game like in when you're in the playoffs in a semifinal uh, or a conference semi, yeah. Uh, Yeah, just perfect delivery. And then what what a way to get loose and find room within that scrum of players and just head that thing perfectly. uh, The Dynamo had been aiming for the bottom right corner all game and – where they find success is going into the into the left corner. So <laughs> I, I just kind of find that found that funny while I was watching the game with uh, with one of my friends because we kept seeing uh, Nelson Quinones keep pushing the ball 
just off of the, the bottom right corner, and then it took Franco Escobar to head the ball into the left corner uh, for for us to find the net. So that was pretty fun. No, it really was. Now, here's a moment that I think scared every Dynamo fan, and that was the moment where Sporting Kansas City, especially Shallowy, thought that there was a handball along the far post uh, when he hit the shot. It got blocked at the line, and, you know, he's going crazy. He's waving his arms. He's yelling. He's running and yelling, saying, hey, hey, that's a handball, that's a handball. And even though VAR looked at it, checked it, and said no, what was the initial feeling you had about that moment, that, uh uh-oh, we could have uh, an an equalizer coming up at the penalty spot? Uh, Great, great question, because, you know, there's so many different ways uh, to to answer it. Um, You know, my first reaction is, you never know because of uh, the reputation that pro referees have within major league soccer. Uh, so you, you kind of are helpless with whatever decision comes up, um, regardless of whatever impulse you have about what might be correct or what might not be correct. Um, my second reaction was, so I, in high school, I was a referee um, graded and all that within uh, USSF. And I, for me, it wasn't a penalty. Not, you know, all day it was not a penalty. I was happy that they looked at it and all of that. Uh, but, yeah, uh, within the letter of the rule, wasn't a penalty. Now, was I worried that, you know, of course, you can get done by referees and VAR, like so many different fans from different teams and everything, of course. Uh, But I think ultimately, uh, and I'll I'll say this about the the officiating for the entire game, I thought was incredibly well done. And you don't get to necessarily praise pro refereeing um, that often. But I thought for a rivalry game uh, in the playoffs, this was a referee that had control of the game without throwing around cards left and right. And uh, I think willingness to check on something like a potential penalty, as nerve-boggling as that is for both sides, not just, you know, the Houston Dynamo worrying about a potential equalizer, but also on the Kansas City side, um, I think that he handled everything incredibly professionally and uh, accurately at that. Nope. I mean, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. It was handled professionally, accurately. And, you know, that's a good look and a good call because, um, I mean, look, I think VAR is needed. Um, my only complaint about VAR is this, who is doing the looking and how are they interpreting the laws of the game correctly? I still feel there are moments here in MLS where it could be better or it could be, uh, sorry about that. I don't know if you heard me or not there, Derek, but I was trying to say, (laughs) um, you know, I, I still feel we need VAR in, in MLS or at least in, in the game. And, uh, I just feel like the, the referees from England, I just feel they're too incompetent to actually, 
you know, follow the rules for the laws of the game. And it's not about, you know, well, we don't want this guy to have his feelings hurt. It's not about that. It's about you want to get the call right. And if you're not going to get the call right, well, then maybe you should get somebody that is better to interpret the laws of the game moving forward. But once again, great match for Houston. Uh, you, you defeat Sport, excuse me, they defeat Sporting Kansas City by a goal to nil. And now you're off to BMO Field in, excuse me, BMO Stadium in downtown Los Angeles against LAFC. What is the big moment, or what do you think Ben Olsen's going to have to do against the defending MLS Cup champions and preventing them from reaching MLS Cup final for a second consecutive season? Uh, yeah, you know, so honestly, I was a little surprised that uh, in no shade thrown at LAFC, they've had a fantastic season. I, I was a little surprised that they were able to knock off Seattle, um, who I would have been a little bit more concerned about, um, frankly. Uh, but, you know, I think this is a good matchup for Houston. Um, Houston, we, we've beaten uh, LAFC twice this season in the regular season. Uh, we beat them once in L.A. at BMO Stadium, uh, one nothing, and then we beat them. Well, and then the the week prior, we beat them in Houston four nothing, four nothing or four one. I can't remember. Uh, so we we play well against them, and that was, you know, uh, I think mid June or so before Houston had really even begun to find its stride. Houston's always been a difficult. They, they've always struggled to play uh, teams on the road, and that, that's relatively true for most MLS teams outside of some of the great teams um, uh, in, in, in their own great seasons. But Houston has struggled on the road, but we have become better and better as this season has progressed, like we were talking about with the integration of Hector Herrera and how things have uh, developed. I like our chances against this team more than I would have liked against Seattle, but that's something that you have to also not take for granted. This is a team that knocked off Seattle. So you have to go in, uh, you know, uh, BMO stadium and really just play your game to the best of your abilities and uh, minimize mistakes and capitalize on chances. One of my notes I have, I think, is uh, Nelson Quinones needs to work on his finishing because he can do everything else. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, if, if they can do stuff like that, Griffin Dorsey taking players on on the right side, uh, I really like uh, this. It's going to be difficult playing away from uh, Shell Energy Stadium, but, you know, you don't get to pick where you play in some of these things unless you uh, you just win all the time. But it is what it is. So it'll be uh, I think it'll be a good game. Yeah, I think it will be too. Derek, as always, thank you very much for joining me tonight, and hope to talk to you next weekend. Next week, I should say. Good luck this weekend, and talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much, Daniel, and have a uh, great week. Thanks, you too. Derek Stowers, Bayou City Soccer. Follow them to talk about the Houston Dynamo. And finally tonight, she couldn't join me live tonight, so I recorded the interview. This is from Heart of LAFC, the one and only Araceli Villanueva. 
This is Daniel Feuerstein, and welcome back to the American Soccer Show as we recap the MLS Cup playoffs in the conference semifinals. And once again, joining me from heart of LAFC is the one and only Araceli Villanueva. And Araceli, welcome back. What an exciting time again for LAFC as they are defending their MLS Cup championship. Thank you for having me back on the show. And yes, I, I feel like these are starting to turn into weekly discussions with LAFC continuing to stun the league and proving that they could become back-to-back -back champions. They really are. And you know what? Going to Lumen Field in Seattle, Washington, no matter who the opponent is facing the Seattle Sounders, that's always a tough venue for any visiting team to go in there and get the full three points, regular season, open cup, or even playoffs. Oh, absolutely. Seattle has created a force right in the last couple of years, and traveling there and playing in Lumen Field is never an easy task, especially with a lot of factors. You, you have Stephen Fry, you have Nico Adero, you, let alone uh, the turf which I know can be a little controversial from club to club. But at the end of the day, I mean, all the credit to Seattle. They're definitely a great club. And even for the fans, uh, watching that result also meant for them that they would be losing a handful of players uh, like Godero. So, again, m very much credit to them and everything that they've built. No, absolutely, and uh, you know they've they're really done well, of course, with head coach Brian Schmetzer, I think, coach for life until he decides to give it up. But you know, what, but it also says you know great game planning from Steve Terundolo, uh for LAFC to at least get this far with everything that's been thrown at them: Champions League, um, Open Cup, Leagues Cup. You know, even the Campione's Cup lost, unfortunately. But, you know, I give him credit for keeping on with the mentality of let's go for it all in league play, in the playoffs, and they are now one step further to at least getting back into the final. Oh, yes, especially with Sherwin And I know we've definitely had this conversation before where there was a high level of skepticism with his hiring. But given from then until now, in less than two years, he has taken this club to new heights. Although they did not complete certain challenges like Open Cup and Lakes Cup and so on, just to have that appearance in big tournaments alongside regular season play just only speaks volumes for the club and the talent that they have because this season alone, um, please correct me if I'm wrong, I believe LEFC started a little sooner than everyone else. So it almost feels like if they played three seasons in one year with all of these matches, and now for them to go back, let alone host the Western Conference Final, again, it, it only speaks to the talents of the team and Sherundolo and how he's able to captain the squad. No, absolutely. I cannot uh, agree with you any further. I mean, that is just unbelievable what Steve Trundolo has done. And uh, it's just been amazing what he has been able to do with so many tournaments and so many matches under his belt now to get to this point. And, you know, when, as we've said 
Lumen Field, it's a fortress for the Sounders, but in the 30th minute, i got to say, Danny Bowanga has really been a, a revelation ever since Gareth Bale retired from the club and from football in general. And just to see him take the bull by the horns for this club as a secondary goal scorer, which now he's really... I mean, no, no offense to Vela, who's been fantastic on his own, but Bawanga seems to have taken over as the top goal scorer of this club. And what a goal that was in that 30th minute off that angle with the ball he received at midfield, and he just took it all by himself and scored it past Stefan Fry. Mm-hmm. No, Bawanga has definitely become a force to be reckoned with. I mean, if you look at the past LEC strikers with Diego Rossi and Tito Arango, even Carlos Vela, uh, you know, much credit to them and what they've, you know, contributed to the club, but there's no doubt that Denise Bawanga is on a whole different level. And just that goal alone proves why he deserved to win the Golden Boot this year because that angle – even with the, all the open space, just to run it down the wing and to secure it into the top corner at a tight angle, it, it just speaks to his talent. And he it, he is going to be one of those players solidified in LEFC history, regardless of the result. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very, very well regardless from the result. I think he's going to be a fantastic talent in MLS uh, for the foreseeable future. But then again, the Gabon uh, International now, I mean, who knows who's looking at him over in Europe. He might go over there, but that's somewhere down the road, and we're not going to worry about that right now. But still, though, Bowanga has been tremendous. And then, of course, for the rest of the match, it's the Maxime Cropot show. My goodness, how many saves did he have to make to not only keep the clean sheet, but to prevent the Sounders from absolutely sneaking one in or destroying his net to make that save or make that win stamped solid on those tickets? Oh, my goodness. There's no doubt in my mind that Max is back. Despite all the conversations surrounding his return during the regular season, even over the summer, to see him back at his full strength, if you will, it's just absolutely outstanding. And... Clearly, whatever he did for recovery, I, I need that too because after a match, I'm down for two weeks almost. But <laughs> aside, aside from it, um, obviously there were moments where it seemed that Ted Uncle did lose control of certain plays, making it a, a bit of chaotic. But to have Max just stand his ground, uh, record seven saves, it's it's mind-blowing. It was, for sure, the show. No, it really was. I mean, the early saves he made in the first four minutes, those two big saves, uh, the one that was from long distance in the second minute was fantastic. We all know how dangerous Jordan Morris really is. And for him, Crepeau, to make that left paw save to at least knock it down and it deflected away from the net, my God, that was just unreal what he did against Jordan Morris. Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, you know, Seattle has definitely created that culture and that become a force of what themselves. 
and Jordan Morris, you know, being one of the many pieces. We've seen how he's played in the regular season, let alone on the national team. So to have him, uh, to watch that collision between him and Max, Max denying him ultimately, it was just one of those moments that I don't, I don't know if you would be able to replicate it. Yeah. Absolutely. You never know if that anything happens. And, of course, later on in the match, just when you thought that maybe the Sounders were going to nick an equalizer, that big touch in the 81st minute, Cripo, I mean, many thought it was over the bar, which it was, but Cripo just gets a fingertip on it and forces that ball just enough to go over the, over the crossbar even though they gave up a corner, but still, though, made a big save right there not to get that ball to dip in and under the bar. Yeah, oh, yes. I think that out of the seven saves, aside from him denying Jordan Morris, of course, to have that finger touch save will also be another one that LEFC fans are going to relish in for the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Very true. And, you know, obviously, um, even though it was the Maxime Cropo show on defense and net, I want to give credit to Timothy Tillman. Of course, that's Malik Tillman's brother. There was a moment there, I, even before that big save from Cropo in the 81st. In the 76th minute, I thought Timothy Tillman made an excellent job at the line, blocking another shot that could have gone in. He could have missed it. But, you know, great concentration, stood his ground, blocked the shot, and cleared the ball off the line because that could have also been a disaster for LA as, uh, FC as well. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, Tillman, he, he's definitely been great, especially with saving uh, certain plays and assisting Craig Cole with saves as well. I, uh, we, when you look at the midfield and – how it's usually composed. It's always going to be interesting to see who was paired with him or um, will take his spot because the midfield does rotate occasionally, but to have Tillman in that game, it just made sense, especially to Seattle's um, strategy. No, it really did. And, of course, the final whistle blew in second-half stoppage time 1-0 1-0 in favor of LAFC. I mean, I know they try to get that second goal. Unfortunately, just not successful enough. Fry also played very well in net. But once again, final whistle blows. LAFC does the unthinkable, wins at Lumen Field, and you're off to the Western Conference Finals back at BMO Stadium to take on the Houston Dynamo. What was the sense you get from not just yourself, but uh, from other LAFC supporters after that one? I think there was a little bit of a disbelief and relief at the same time to see that LAFC is going to be not only hosting the Western Conference Final, but just making their return. Because when it comes to Houston, I know that during the regular season, um, LAFC has not fared well with them, with losing twice. But now that they have home field advantage, Craig Cole is back in goal. I think they, the club has all the pieces they need to, in order to go make another run or a solid run back at MLS Cup, which is next week already. Yep, I can't believe it. It's going to be that quick. 
Talk about the Houston Dynamo. They also edged out Sporting Kansas City. Uh, obviously, where you're located in, in the Kansas City area, that probably was tough to see that happen. Look, Peter Vermees did a great job uh, getting them out of the hole that they dug themselves into. But still, though, what is it about this Houston Dynamo team that gives you concern or maybe confidence that LAFC can return to the final? Well, obviously, as a Kansas City native, watching SKC get eliminated was was heartbreaking because it's given the type of season that they have with losing 10 games in a row up until making barely making the playoffs and getting up to this point. It, it would have been great to watch them travel to L.A. for what's the conference final, but at the end of the day, Houston got the win. Despite a, con- a controversial handball, I'll, I'll just say very quickly, but, <laughs> again, it's, you do have to give Houston the praise that they they have the talent. They have Hector Herrera that with Steve Clark. There was no doubt that they had a plan, and they executed it fairly well. Now, matching up with LESC, I've kind of already mentioned that, when you look at the past, LESC has fallen twice to them. But now that with Craig Pope back in goal and seeing the type of performance he's had in Seattle with his seven saves, I would hope to see him replicate that somehow to push LESC back to the MLS Cup. Absolutely, and that's going to be a fun one to watch. And for yourself as well, you've been well. You You've handled all these ups and downs of the season and finally – Getting to that final spot? Oh, it's definitely been a roller coaster of emotions this season. I, I won't shy away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Araceli, thank you so much for joining me uh, on the show tonight. Uh, good luck in the Western Conference Final against the Houston Dynamo, and we'll see what happens, and hopefully we'll talk to you next week. I appreciate it, and thank you for having me back on the show. And that is Araceli Villanueva from Heart of LAFC. And uh, big win for LAFC over at the Sounders in the Luminum Field. And here is the schedule for the MLS Cup Conference Finals. So get ready for that one, folks, as we are ready to go. For the championship games in the Eastern Conference Final, both will be played on Saturday, December the 2nd. FC Cincinnati hosting the Columbus Crew at 6 p.m. Eastern Time at TQL Stadium. And at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, LAFC hosting the Houston Dynamo. Also over at BMO Stadium in downtown Los Angeles, both games will be seen live on your MLS season pass on Apple TV. And then, of course, the final, which will be on Saturday, December the 9th. You can watch it either on MLS season pass on Apple TV, Fox, and Fox Deportes. It should be exciting. It should be a lot of fun. And I cannot wait to see what's going to happen there. I want to thank my guests tonight, Kenta Hagawara, of Area Sportsnet, Adam Miller of Massive Report, Derek Stowers of Bayou Soccer City, 
or excuse me, Bayou City Soccer. I keep screwing that up. I don't know why. And uh, Araceli Villanueva of Heart of LAFC. Join me next week for the conference finals review show here on the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow the rankings come out for FIFA and we'll find out who will start for the draw for the first and second rounds of the FIFA World Cup CONCACAF qualifying. It should be fun and exciting to watch. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long and have a good night. Bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.